You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, live from the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. Here is your special SEC Media Days edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, presented by Bordelon Furniture. How lucky are you? You get an extra 15 minutes of Miguez and Mesh. Welcome in. To Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez coming to you live from the College Football Hall of Fame in the ATL. James Mesh, the producer extraordinaire and the co-host with the most, back home in Acadiana pushing all the buttons one more time. James, what's up, buddy? Final day. Final yeah. day. We will reunite tomorrow. And as you can see on the simulcast, I had to bring the heat one more time since it's the final day. Brought out the brought out the gray blazer again. But uh, all right, you know, big day today. It, it didn't on on paper. It didn't seem like it was gonna be a big day. You know, it seemed like everybody was just like, oh well, you know, Jimbo. We'll, we'll hear from Jimbo. But then you got a heck of a lot out of Brian Harson, And, you know, Brian Harson basically dropped the mic today, if you will. You know, he was very direct, very straightforward. Said, you know, th- this whole thing was uncomfortable. It was unnecessary. And in the end, it didn't work. Because I'm still here. He openly said that Auburn was trying to get him fired. And it didn't work. And then Josh Heupel comes on stage and he had a lot of positive things to say because people are high on the Vols. Hendon Hooker, one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC. Cedric Tillman, arguably the best wide receiver in the SEC. They've got a good defense. Tennessee might surprise some people this year. I could see Tennessee going seven and five at a minimum. I'm really thinking more along the lines of nine and three. Tennessee, that 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 team is interesting, man. They they really really are. And then Jimbo. I mean, do I do I need to say anything else? Cutting people off, saying dead gummit. I mean, Jimbo, Jimbo was incredible. He was just just as good as I thought he would be. We'll have audio clips of Jimbo and Brian Harson tomorrow on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Today, today's show, we it, it's a big one, ladies and gentlemen. We've got audio clips from the LSU players. We have audio clips from. Drawn a blank. James, help me out. Sam Pittman, Kirby Smart, and... Billy Napier. Billy Napier. Thank you. Why did I draw a blank there? I don't know. Maybe that's the sleep deprivation of day four here in Atlanta. Anyways, so we got audio clips to get to. We've got a great interview with the historian of the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame, Mr. Kent Stevens. We're going to bring you that. 
we're going to bring you a great interview with the senior national columnist of Saturday Down South, Mr. Connor O'Gara. And, and oh yeah, the commissioner of the SEC, Mr. Greg Sankey. He stopped by earlier this morning for a great conversation. We'll bring you that as well. Radio Row clearing up very quick. Dude, it's gotten to the point they're taking tables out of the way. Like, this place is shut. They might turn the lights out on me, James. They might kick you out, Mitcho. Hey, I mean, if that's what they got to do, that's what they got to do. I mean, I, that's not what anybody wants, but, you know, it is what it is. Breaking news, though, James. We got to get to it. Field Yates posted on Twitter a little less than 10 minutes ago. The Saints have placed wide receiver Michael Thomas and defensive end Marcus Davenport on the physically unable to perform list to begin training camp. I mean, now, it's not shocking. No, it's not, but it, it's concerning because you, you really thought that Michael Thomas would be a little bit further along at this point. I mean, we've been hearing good things about him making progress, but we haven't heard anything really defining. But now that we've gotten this news, we can understand a little more realistically where he's at. And he's not quite ready. It was the same thing with Davenport. We heard he had to take part of his finger off. And he was still dealing with injuries. But we didn't know how severe it was. Now that we know that they're both on the pup list, it's disappointing that they won't be ready to start training camp. But at least we know a little, we have a better idea of where they are right now. We see, so let me let me reverse this to you. Do you think that Michael Thomas will be ready to start the season? I don't know if he'll be 100%, but I think when week one starts, I think he'll be, he'll be suited up in black and gold. Man, I hope so. I really, really hope so. I, I think it'll come close. It'll come down close. I think, but we'll hear some good things. You'll see questionable on the week one chart, but he'll end up suiting up. May not be super effective because, once again, he's not fully healthy. He hasn't really he hasn't played in two years, really. So it's going to take him some time to get back to that game speed, game shape. He's just going to be more of a decoy early on, so I should expect... Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, Taysom Hill, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry to get a lot more touches. And you'll see Mike Thomas. He'll get the attention because he's Mike Thomas, but he'll be more of a decoy just to draw attention. That way it's like, well, we can't not cover him, but it'll leave other people like Jarvis and Olave and all the others open to where Jameis can have easier throws. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I – uh, again, it's just been so long since Michael Thomas has taken the field that you know the the Saints kind of need him at this point, and and not so much for what he can bring on the field, but just from a mentality standpoint and a, and a locker room standpoint, the Saints need him back in uniform. So we'll see what happens there with that again. Michael Thomas and Marcus Davenport begin training camp on the physically unable to perform list. Other breaking news from the NFL today. Kyler Murray signs a monster extension to stay in the Arizona Cardinals. 
through 2028. It's a five-year extension worth $230.5 million. James, this is this is where this number gets interesting. You ready for this? Yeah. Do you, you remember back in 2018 when Kyler got drafted by the Oakland A's? Yeah. And, and they were trying to get him to go to the MLB instead of the NFL? Yeah. Okay, so with this contract extension, Kyler will earn an average of $46.1 million a year. The Oakland A's entire payroll is 48 and a half. Wow. <laughs> Their entire payroll is $2 million more than what he's going to make in a year. I think it's safe to say that Kyler picked the, made the right pick. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Yeah, I, w- I would certainly say so. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors, Bordelon Furniture, for helping us get to Atlanta this week. Locations in Crowley, Jennings, and Marksville. Through the end of July, guys, Power Recliner on sale for six ninety nine. You definitely don't want to miss that opportunity. So, again, Crowley, Jennings, and Marksville head down to Bordelon Furniture and earn their business today. If you want to get in on the show, call the hotline 706-0111. And in Acadiana, you can always watch the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Poll question of the day. Who do you think the best player on the Saints is? So far on Twitter, 40% say Demario Davis. 6.7% say Tyron Matthew. 40% 40% say Ryan Ramshack, and 13.3% say other. And our guy, Salty Steve, chimes in. Kamara is the best and most important player in that locker room. James? I wouldn't say he is the best, but he's definitely up there. He's one of the best. And I, I, I wouldn't agree with the fact that he's the most important either. I can name and, a couple of other players, as, and they're on the other side of the ball. And that's coming from a guy that has vouched for AK for a long time. James, you I have that. a I have a AK jersey. He's the, only, he's the only one other than Jimmy Graham and Drew Brees that I have jerseys for for Saints. Yeah, and he's I – don't, I don't agree with either one of those statements. However, that is an opinion, and everyone's entitled to have their own. We'll take a time out right here, bring you two more hours of crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh, live from Radio Row one last time at the College Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to The Game, 103.7 Lafayette, and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here, James Mesh back in Acadiana. 502 in Atlanta, 402 back home, putting a bow on SEC Media Days. What a great four days it's been here at the College Football Hall of Fame. Heard from all 14 coaches and 41 players. Now, now, James, if you're wondering why I said 41, it's because A&M only brought two of their supposed three. 
Interesting choice. The reason being is that the third player that they were scheduled to bring was arrested yesterday for driving while intoxicated, a weapons charge, and a marijuana charge. Hmm. So That's he smart. Is, he is suspended from the team indefinitely, and of course he he did not appear at SEC Media Days. Uh, so that is why A&M only showed up today with two players. However, you know, we talked a lot about what Jimbo had to say in that first segment coming back after the Astros walked off the New York Yankees 3-2 to two, thanks to a J.J. Matajevic infield single. And, and you know, there was, there was a lot that Jimbo said, right? But a lot of it really appeared to be smoke screens. Because, James, I just I cannot believe that they have put everything to bed, Jimbo and Nick. I just can't believe that. It's hard. It, that is hard to believe. And, and they both sat there, oh, we're great. You know, I have a ton of respect for the other, blah, blah, blah. That's coach speak. If you weren't in a room with a hundred-something people and an SEC on ESPN camera staring down your throat, you probably would have said something different. And, and that's with any coach. It's that's why I've always found it funny listening to some of the inner, hearing some of the questions that people were asking to people like Billy Napier and asking Nick Saban and other coaches. They're they're asking like, well, what do you think about Brian Kelly and LSU? It's like, what do you what do you expect them to say? Like they suck? Like what do you? That isn't. They're just gonna give the same generic answer like. I think they're a great guy. I think they're going to do good things at LSU. Like, I don't understand the point of the question. Right. And then, you know, here, here's the other thing that is the main topic of this whole week has been NIL, right? Because, you know, since the last time they've met here at for SEC Media Days, NIL has changed a lot in the last 12 months. It has been a huge impact on the college world. And so that's been like the main conversation this week with each and every coach. And, you know, there's people throwing the numbers around with Kirby Smart's new contract. And, and this tweet says, on Tuesday, Kirby Smart said he doesn't think college football players should make $10,000 a month. Well, today he signed a contract that will pay him more than $900,000 a month. But, but when you... When, there's a big old difference between a player and a coach. I understand that we are in an age where players are going to get paid, and I'm fine with it. I don't have an issue with that. However, when you have this mentality that players should be getting paid bags and bags of money at 19 years old, I'm going to tell you to pump the brakes. Because that's ridiculous. Pay the kids. Fine. I'm for it. Don't pay them more than what is necessary. Like there are people on social media saying, oh, you know, these kids should be making, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars a month. 
Why? Everything's paid for. You get the nicest dorms. You get free food, free meals. Like, like it, it's getting to the point where college athletes are going to be on the same level as pro athletes. And it's like, what's the difference? At that point, why are you going to college? Just go straight to the NFL. Well, that's a question a lot of people have, too. Why are they still doing this? Which I hate, because college football is bars better than the pros. I prefer college football much more than the NFL. Really? I'm the opposite. Much more than the NFL. I I prefer the NFL much more than college football. There's there's a certain there's a certain beauty about college football that just makes it better than the rest. Same thing with college basketball. College basketball is better than the NBA. And college baseballs, college sports in general, are better in pro, than pro sports, in my opinion. Across the board. Across the board. Okay. Not not what I was expecting. Because the way I look at it is, if you're in the pros, you're the best in the world. You're the best of the best. You you have the talent and you have the dedication, and you have the mindset to be able to stay with the competition and there's only, there's a lot less spots in the NFL than there is college and that's true but here, here's my issue with pros I feel like a good 60% of professional leagues guys are just there to collect a paycheck they don't truly love to play the game and I can see where you're coming from with that. And that's what's still special, even if guys are starting to get paid in, in college. That's what's still special about college sports. You're playing because you love the game and you want to do it for the rest of your life. Like, that that puts this certain level of, you know, passion and commitment into college sports that I think just puts it above... Pro I, mean, sports. I mean, if that's the argument, wouldn't you just say that high school football would be better than college football then? Since that's even since you're not even collecting any type of under the under the table money, you're just playing football because you love football. That's true. And I and so I if, really, if that's the case, then high school football is just the best type of football for going with that argument. And I really enjoy high school football, but high school football doesn't have. You know, the atmosphere and the environment that college football does. Because that puts it apart, too. I don't know. I've, I've always believed that college sports were better than the rest. Um, and, and I feel like I've been in the minority in that for, for a lot of my life. Let's go to the hotline, 706-0111. T is calling. What's up, T? Hey, good and you, bud. How was your trip? Oh man, I mean, I'm still here, but it's good. Oh, you still there? Well, yes, I sir. You came back today. Okay, all right. Well, I agree with you 100. Uh, percent I'm like Kevin Foot, man. You're getting paid millions of dollars, and you can't pitch a strike. That's incredible to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know I don't, I, mean? I don't disagree huh? with you. 
I mean, unbelievable. I mean, so first of all, they get paid way too much in the pros. Way too much. And I'm with you. Most of them are there for the check, you know. Yep. They, they really don't want to go in the game. Yeah, it, it, it's true. All right, bud. Thanks. Appreciate the call, T. All right, bud. I don't know, and, and and I'm not saying I'm not having this argument to say that I don't like pro sports. I enjoy the Saints, I enjoy the Pelicans, I enjoy watching NHL hockey. Like I like pro sports. There's just something about the NCAA. And, and the thing is, I mean, you you say why can't you just pitch a strike? I mean, you're also going against literally the best batters in the world. And what's what's one of the hardest things to do in sports? Hit a baseball? I mean, that one, that one at worst is probably top three, I would say. Hitting a baseball? Yeah. So you got to be damn good. So if you're a pitcher, you got to try and put it in an exact spot where even the best of the best don't even have that good of a shot of getting to the ball. So it goes both ways. I mean, yep, no, that's you, you, you got to be able to put it where you can. And no, and again, at the same time, we're not robots. We're humans. You're not going to be able to pitch the strike the right way every time. No matter how much you practice, you're never going to do it 100% of the time. Never, ever. Yep. That, I mean, that's, I mean, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, you're you're never gonna. I mean, Drew Brees doesn't complete every pass he throws. Tom Brady doesn't win every game he plays. You know, e even the best make mistakes. Um, and, and you know, I've got we, we've got a caller on the hotline, but real quick comment on the poll question. Ton comes in and says, "Will these Lutz?" Interesting. That's a top tier comment right there. That's that's fair. That's very fair. Let's go to the hotline. David's calling in. What's up, David? Yes. Good afternoon. So I I can understand where you're coming from in reference to college sports, but I'll I'll go with the pros. And the reason is they they're getting paid for doing their job. And I know you say like only six sixty percent, or is it sixty percent are actually there to do their jobs, or is it? The other way around, where sixty percent don't really want to do it, they're just there to collect the check. Sixty percent don't want to do it; they just want to collect the check. I, I and you know I disagree with that because here's the thing: they know that if they don't perform, they won't get paid. You know, um, plain and simple is it, you know just like with your job and, and 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 my job and everyone else's job. If you don't do your job, you're not going to get paid. You know, in the in the in the long run, in the, in, the, in actuality. You know, um, what's his name? I saw a, I had something come over my phone, got $112 million for 10 years today. Um, Kirby Smart. The coach, yes, the coach of Georgia. Now, just a few days ago, this same coach was complaining about the NIL deals. Now, his $112 million salary, and he's complaining about these young men getting NIL deals. Now, you tell me, is that not the biggest hypocrite? Now, I'm, I'm going to argue that. And there's a problem with college sports. You know, I'm, these young men are the ones 
these coaches and NTAA are benefiting off of the hard work of these young men and these young women. But yet you have millionaire coaches complaining about these young men making a few thousand dollars. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to argue that because Kirby's comment wasn't that he's against NIL. He's against college athletes making $10,000 a month. And I agree with him. Why? But why? Because it's still an amateur sport. On paper. <laughs> On paper. But not in actuality. And it hasn't been that way for a long time. You, you know this, I know this. Okay, so let me let me ask you a question to 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 extend this argument. Say say every college athlete makes ten thousand dollars a month. What makes college football any different from the NFL? They, they're getting paid less. It's just that simple. They're getting paid less. The young men are getting paid less than the um, professionals. Well, the NFL players. If we sit down, and you're, you're, you're an intelligent person when it comes to sports, and your co-host is too, when you, if you sit down and you look at the money generated by the NCAA when it comes to college football and college basketball, it is ridiculous. And oh, I agree. the amount of time that these young men put in when it comes to these particular sports, it is ridiculous the amount of money that is being made from their work. I, I, I and agree. It is, and it is a job. It is a job. And I agree with that, too. However, I don't get paid. Like, I, I just, I still don't see the reason for a, a college athlete to make six figures a year. And I can, and, and, and you know what? You have that right. You know, that is your opinion. And I just look at the amount of money being paid. LSU's first nationally televised game. How much money do you think they'll make? Uh, probably quite a few million dollars. Exactly. Now, that few million dollars will pay for every, technically, will pay for every scholarship player on LSU's football team. Will pay their tuition in full. One game will pay that, that their, their, their tuition in full. Now, they've probably got about, what, six more games where they'll be at least nationally broadcast throughout the season, and that's a few more million dollars going into the coffers for LSU. And they're nope. not the only one. I'm just using LSU as an example, of course. Yeah, um, I mean, no. The Pac-12 and, the, the Pac and some other conference, no, the Pac-12 is looking at doing a deal for $3 billion. Or am I mistaken in the conference? No, I believe you're correct. $3 billion after their current deal ends. And that's just with one network. ESPN, if I'm not mistaken. This, not, this does not include CBS, Fox, or any of the regional networks. Or radio. $3 billion from one network. No, I mean, that's I, crazy. From a, from a media standpoint, I, I I get it. You know, college football is is a money maker. But again, if you start paying these college athletes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, 
you're going to get a much different product than what we have now. And that is true. I don't disagree with you at all there. That is true. But it's just the time that we now live in to whereas these young men and some of these young women see their worth and they now know their worth. And I don't have a problem with them capitalizing off of their worth. That's really what it comes down to. That's fair. Just like the CEO of a corporation who goes and says, well, this is what I'm worth. I'll take your company from being a crappy company to being a multi-billion dollar corporation within the next two years. Would you not give him or her the salary that they request as long as it's not exorbitant? More than likely, yeah. Okay. Well, you've seen it with LSU and the other universities where they get these star athletes and they go from being so-so also ran to being top of the heap. And it's basically the same thing. Except these, these young men weren't getting paid as much. Appreciate <laughs> the call, a, David. At least not a, up front. <laughs> Have a good day. Yeah, we got to get to a timeout here on the game. But before we do, you can score a brand new Apple Watch by sending a simple text message. The game, 1037 Lafayette at 1041 Lake Charles. Brand new text club. Simply text GAME to 337-283-8100. That's G-A-M-E to 337-283-8100. Once you join, you'll be eligible to win an Apple Watch, plus Apple Astros tickets, and much more. The Game's Tech Club. Find out more by heading to the website, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Also on our website, you can get daily recaps from the coaches here at SEC Media Days with a couple of quotes built in about what they had to say here in Atlanta. But we'll take a time out, and when we return, the commissioner of the SEC, Mr. Greg Sankey, will join us here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles in Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Lonely, I'm Mr. Lonely. Our guy Miguez is lonely in Atlanta. So why don't you drop him a line on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Or comment on our Facebook page. Back to the SEC Media Days edition of Crunch Time, presented by Bordelon Furniture. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Let's go to some audio clips now talking about Kirby Smart. And he had a lot to say yesterday about NIL defending the national championship so on and so forth. But before we get to that, we got another caller on the hotline. It's Mr. Jamie Green. Jamie, what's up? Hey, good afternoon, Mr. Miguez. How's Hotlanta treating you? Hotlanta is exactly that. Very hot. <laughs> I bet, man. Look, uh, I wanted to go in on the, the poll question of the day and, and also kind of piggyback on what, uh, what y'all talked about earlier. So I'll start with the poll question and say this. I think the most important person in that uh, – that locker room, or not necessarily the most important person, the best best player they have in that locker room right now, and I'm, I'm going to stir, 
to the spot here a little bit is Jameis Winston. I really think that he got a raw deal. I really think that, um, you know, a lot of people are, are pooping on him for things that he did with my bucks, and, and deservedly so, but the dude was on pace to have a stellar year last year, and he didn't get to finish the season. And so I think a lot of times they, uh, they, they kind of just don't give him a fair shake, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I, I would I agree say that you. he is the best uh, and probably the most important in that locker room. And then to piggyback, I, I agree with you in that I, I prefer college sports over over professional sports. I always have. Um, and it's gotten to a point, though, like your previous caller said, it, it's only amateur sports on paper, and it's been that way for a long, long time. But the difference is there's a league minimum in the NFL. They are all professionals. They are all making at least that league minimum, and that's six figures. But there's no such thing in the NCAA, even with the NIL. So you might have a team where you've got a star quarterback who's making two or three billion dollars for the year, and then the offensive lineman who, you know, he makes what, maybe five hundred dollars in NIL deal just because they threw him a bone. So, I mean, there's still that difference. It's still it's still amateur in that way, I guess. But um, I definitely prefer the uh, the NCAA over over professional sports. Not that I don't like professional sports, but I just find that there's, like you pointed out, there's a little bit more heart when they're playing in the NCAA as compared to some of the more professional leagues. Yeah, I, I agree with that point. You know, the I, I would agree. I would also say that college football needs to develop uniformity in terms of NIL. Oh, uh, for, I agree with that wholeheartedly, too. Uh, for, for that reason alone, you know. If if one quarterback's making you know three million a year, and then a a guy in the same conference is only making you know ten thousand a year, you know what are we doing? Right. Yeah, so. and, it's, it, and you know you can do it by conference. You know, naturally the players in the SEC are going to be better, and they're going to have better deals. Of but I mean, let, let's take my my uh, alma mater, Northwestern State. I mean, naturally there aren't going to be any players on that team that are going to make even six figures in an NIL deals, you know? Right. Because it's a smaller school, it's a smaller fan base, and, and you know, smaller alumni association. So, uh, you know, you, you got to go by, you got to go more by conference than by the NCAA as a whole, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, anyway, for sure. I uh, just wanted to run that by you, see what you had to say. Appreciate it, Jamie. Y'all have a good one. Y'all too. So looking at Kirby Smart's conversation from yesterday, you know, his main focus was that they're not going to be a complacent team. You know, they're going to stay hungry and, and trying to repeat as national champions. So here's Kirby Smart on how they are going to maintain that mentality. You don't change, you don't change who you are. You don't change the way you go about things. You know, there's, there's no stone left unturned when you're the leader of the organization you're trying to always be relevant you're trying to stay on top of things you're trying to monitor things you're looking for a better way to do things you know I was very fortunate to work for one of the best in the business at doing it after winning one and uh, a lot of those same habits we had already created 
So the question and narrative is, you just won one, you know, how, how things change. Well, we had five straight years of finishing in the top seven. Those were pretty good years. We had to, we had to come back after those good years. We lost good players those years. Um, so I'm looking at it as we're going to continue to do the same things we do, but how do we refine the process? How do we do the process better this time than we did last time? That's what we're trying to do. And also he spent some time talking about how his national championship winning quarterback, Stetson Bennett, can be even better. Well, he can be a better leader. He can make more plays with his feet. And I think when you put someone in the role as the quarterback and they're the starter, they immediately get some credibility. He probably didn't have that credibility this time last year. He had not been put in that role. He's earned that role. He's earned the right to start. Uh, he's embraced it. He takes that responsibility head on. And he chose to come back, you know, after winning a national championship and said, I want to go do, I want to go do something special. I want to go play football. I want to enjoy the game. I think it's, uh, I think it's just kind of who he is. And the biggest thing he can do for us is make sure that he's throwing more touchdowns than he has interceptions. That's what I tell him all the time. Keep that touchdown interception ratio the right way and make plays. He's got a lot of good players around him. The game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles is taking over the Big Easy. Sunbelt Media Days Tuesday and Wednesday, July 26th and 27th. Tune in as RP3 and Company, Footnotes, and Crunch Time with me, Gazza Mesh. We'll be broadcasting live from New Orleans for the game's Sunbelt Media Day coverage presented by Next Home Cutting Edge Realty and the Wetlands. Tune in for our takeover of New Orleans right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We'll take a timeout, and now we will deliver the interview with the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Mr. Greg Sankey. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The circus that is SEC Media Days is in Atlanta, and Miguez and Mesh have you covered. Here is the SEC Media Days edition of Crunch Time, presented by Portalon Furniture on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Matt Miguez here, last day in Atlanta on Radio Row at the College Football Hall of Fame, and I am joined by the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Mr. Greg Sankey. Mr. Sankey, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you? Oh, thank you. Thank you for being here. It's a, a great venue. Uh, you can't escape college football when you're sitting in the no. College Football Hall of Fame. No, absolutely. And that's that's really question number one. You know, what went into the process of hosting SEC Media Days here in Atlanta, you know, moving it from Hoover, putting it into the College Football Hall of Fame? What kind of led that decision? It is uncommon for conferences to move their media days around, but we went through uh, an evaluation of opportunities that we could access in local communities that have interest in the SEC, and they're all across our footprint. Uh, Atlanta being a place where we play our conference championship game, uh, it has hosted a national championship game in the college football playoff. Uh, it hosts this year a college football playoff semifinal game in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to experience uh, what I think is a really cool venue. I mean, it's just, no. just college football. Uh, you get to feel uh, the game as we talk about the game. We also bring in some of the, the, the local media in a much more in-depth way, being in a major market 
like Atlanta, we have a few fans that will come by and see their favorite coaches and experience what's going on, but also be introduced to the college team. So we wanted to, 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 to take advantage of that local flavor in a different way. And, you know, we're looking at Nashville next year and the country music opportunities. Can we think creatively there? Um, so we're going to try to be creative with media days while we still allow people to, to do their, their fundamental jobs. That was going to be my next question. You know, the rumor around Radio Row the last couple of days is that it's headed to Nashville next year. You know, what, what can you tell us about that? That's the plan right now. We'll work to finalize that and, and hopefully make a final announcement shortly. But uh, Nashville's an important city for us in many ways. We have a university located there, two universities in the state, we play our men's basketball tournament there every year now for the next 10 years. Um, and as we think about moving around, it's still in the geographic center of the conference, a pretty accessible city for people. And uh, we think that provides some opportunities, again, with the local flavor around country music. Talking about realignment, talking about, you know, the, the word super conference has been thrown around a lot. The SEC moving to 16 teams with the additions of Texas and Oklahoma, you know, what what kind of I know the other day you mentioned that there's not any plans to expand further than that. But if college football keeps trending the way that it is, you know, is there going to really be no choice but to expand further? I don't know that I'd reduce it to that. It, it, that the the culture of college football continues to adapt, and so the number of teams in a conference uh, becomes very different. And, and arguably it has. You know, we've gone from 10 to 12 to 14 to now 16 since the early 90s as a league. So that's over 30 years. Uh, you have to balance the economics of that. You, you also have to very f out front think about the culture of an association, of a conference. And in our most recent editions, and in fact I'd, I'd argue in every edition that we've gone through, uh, finding uh, a university that fits our culture, that has a philosophy of supporting uh, highly successful nationally competitive programs across the spectrum is important. Uh, the ability to have relationships, to have a relatively tight geography, those are all important elements. And could things change? Sure. And we're going to pay attention to what's happening out there. Uh, but we're not just going to think like, let's hit a number, because that ignores some of the other really important priorities. Chatting with Commissioner Greg Sankey here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Now, looking at the conference, two new head coaches this season, Billy Napier at Florida, Brian Kelly in, in, in our hometown at LSU. You know, what are your expectations for those two programs this year, and, and more importantly, those coaches? Well, both have a really strong track record. Brian obviously has led Notre Dame to a BCS National Championship game, to two college football playoff semifinals, any number of major college bowl games as he elevated the program that has been um, just a, a traditional power but elevated them to a consistent level of national prominence and performance and, and I fully expect him to do the same at LSU. You know those first years are tricky as you're trying to sort out personnel and set cultural expectations um, but you, you watched you had the opportunity to see Brian uh, on Monday who was our first coach speak pretty confidently about um, his staff and the, the infrastructure around and what Scott Woodward and his team have built and then his roster. So uh, I know that uh, that first night of the season in the Superdome, 
uh, when LSU plays Florida State. It'll be an exciting night, an exciting debut, and I think people have high expectations, rightly so. Billy, obviously being in Lafayette for the last few years as a head coach, distinguished himself winning the Sun Belt last year. Um, I had watched him when he when he came into the league and just watched him move out out west and then back into a head coaching role. Um, David Cutcliffe on our staff has had a, more of a chance to interact with Billy um, and, and has come back really positive about his structure and his, his, his thinking about the game. Uh, again, first year, but they've built an infrastructure uh, under Scott Strickland's leadership across that athletic department. They've got some facilities that have come online recently, a vision for a new football facility. And so, again, the first year you have to figure out how it fits and works, but I think the optimism and expectations there are high as well. And then, you know, looking at the success of the conference, I mean, eight years since the college football playoffs have been implemented, the SEC has five of the eight national championships. Last year's Heisman Trophy, Young, you know, as the commissioner, with, with that level of success, you know, you, you said on Monday that the SEC is the strongest that it's ever been. You know, why do you think, why do you feel that way? We have the ability for any number of teams to access national championships across the board in all of our sports. So you, baseball, we had half yep. the college World Series. Um, and two of the teams we didn't have will be SEC teams in the future. Um, we've, we had six national championships earned across our 21 sports, which actually is a dip from last year, but we had any number of national finalists, national runners-up. Um, and when we've won football championships in the last three years, so we've won five, but in the last three years we've had uh, LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. Uh, nobody else has done that. In fact, if you go back to 2007 and 2010, we had four consecutive years with four different teams winning national championships. You had Tennessee in 98. Uh, we've had a total of six of our teams win national championships. Nobody comes close to that in, in football. And, and that's replicated. You know, baseball, we've had three consecutive national champions, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and COVID year in between. Uh, we know what LSU's done in baseball and national championships. We've seen Florida win national championship. And so uh, the opportunity for everybody to play at the highest possible level exists across this conference. And that's really unique given the depth uh, of, of that expectation and the ability to fulfill that expectation that exists. Wrapping up SEC Media Days with the Commissioner, Greg Sankey. My final question is, of, of the coaches that have spoken with the media, which, which one kind of stood out to you the most as maybe having the most confidence in their team? Well, I don't have a lot of opportunity to actually stay and listen, unfortunately, because I have to go well, right. down Radio Row right, or right. I meet with, with writers. Um, I, I thought Brian did a nice job getting us off to just a, a, a direct, confident start. You know, then you saw Lane come in without a tie, only guy without a tie. I don't know if Jimbo will be here. I think they all come at their roles uh, with an air of preparation. Uh, in an era of confidence. Um, and, you know, one of these teams is going to go undefeated. Uh, they all have different expectations. Uh, but you see in their presentation, from my perspective, to the extent I'm able to watch, and I'll see more on, on replay on the SEC network over the coming days, um, the level of, of vision uh, and, and purpose and preparation that is present here. And I think that's reflected in their programs. The Commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Mr. Greg Sankey, joining us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Commissioner, really appreciate you taking the thank time. Thank you. And uh, thank you for, you know, a first-class event here at the College Football Hall of Fame. Glad to have you with us.
We'll take a timeout right here and bring you more crunch time with Miguez and Mesh on the other side. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to head back out to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta for the show that just means more. Eh, what more is, we're not quite sure yet. Here is the SEC Media Days edition of Crunch Time, presented by Bordelon Furniture on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 450 back home in Acadiana. James, I got a question. So, Bush's baked beans was announced this week as the official bean of the SEC. So there have been people from Bush's all week you know, doing interviews, blah, blah, one of them being Roger McCready from the Tennessee Titans. And they were handing out personalized cans of Bush's baked beans. Interesting. But I didn't get one. Huh. And you're, one of the, and you're one of the last few people there. And I didn't get one. I'm, I'm a little upset. Not not that I don't know that I would have like kept it as a memento, but like you know, I probably would have brought it home and cooked it. No, you, well, no, you cook the beans, but you keep the can. Cook the beans, yeah. I guess. I just like, like man, where's where's my personalized can of bushes? I want some beans. Is it like the hickory, or is it the sweet honey with the bacon, like? Is, it looks, which one is it? It looks like it's just original Bush's baked beans. Oh, that one's just not as good. Oh, you're right, right. <laughs> I love how I love how you're over here <laughs> trying to correct and, and make a point about a personalized can of baked beans. Hey, man, we you get me into a food discussion, and I, I mean, I could go for it. Oh my God. Anyways, again, wrapping up our time here in Atlanta. Four SEC media days. It doesn't sound like media days is going to be in Atlanta next year. Like we talked about with Greg Sankey, it really, it's leaning like it's going to be Nashville. And if that's the case, I'm, I'm totally in. Never been to Nashville. I've always wanted to go. It would be cool. You know, people believe there's a hotel and convention center right off of Broadway in downtown Nashville. And people believe that's where it's going to be. So, you know, being right there by all the country singers, like bars and restaurants and stuff, that'd be fun. That'd be a good time. That sounds like your wheelhouse. It does sound like my wheelhouse because I'm just a good old country boy. No comment on that. Moving on. So... Looking at the poll question on Facebook and Twitter, so far 52% of you say Demario Davis, 4.8% say Tyron Matthew, 28% say Ryan Ramshack, and 14.3% say other. And the Cajun dad just commented, if measuring best in his position on the team, I would say it is Davis. Davis is a top five linebacker, Ram is a top 10 lineman, and Honey Badger is top 10 at his position. Best athlete on the team is Hill. Most important toss-up is between Kamara and Winston. So it all depends on how you look at it. 
All right, so I really like Taysom Hill. But is he the best athlete on the team? Is he? He's definitely, I would consider him top three. He's one of them, but is he the best? Is he the most athletic guy on the team? I, mean, I don't he, think so. I mean, he's, he's shown his versatility, not just oh. on offense, but he's been able to play special teams. I, no I'm surprised in the Sean Payton era we didn't see him play free safety. There, there's no question. I, I agree with all of that. But just fr from an athletic standpoint, are we going to sit here and say that he is more athletic than, you know, Alvin Demario, Kamara. Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, Demario Davis? I'd consider him more athletic. Cam than Jordan. Thomas. Like these these big guys that get off the line in half a second. I mean, we are. Uh, I don't know. That that's an interesting debate. I mean, he's been able to do what he does at kind of more QB size, like more just the generic QB. Like, uh, you weigh two fifteen, you're good. Now that he's playing tight end, he's able to put on more bulk. So it's yep. like you may see even crazier trucks than you did before because. Taysom had to be a smaller size to be able to play the QB position more naturally, or as That's naturally true. as he was able to play it. That's true. That's true. Uh, Houston Astros will play game two of their doubleheader coming up here in about 40 minutes. Uh, that game will be on Newstalk 98.5. The Astros taking down the Yankees in game one of the doubleheader 3-2. to two. The, Yan the Astros are now 60-32 and 32 on the year, while the Yankees are 64-29. and 29. Your game two pitchers will be Domingo Germán for the Yankees and Luis Garcia for the Astros. Once again, 540 first pitch, and you can hear it on our sister station, News Talk 98.5. The Astros with a 12-and-a-half, a 9-and-a-half a point, a 9-and-a-half game lead in their division, while the Yankees currently hold a 12-and-a-half game lead in their division pretty pretty obvious that the Astros and the Yankees are two of the top three teams in baseball with the Los Angeles Dodgers being the other top team in the National League now that the all-star break has come and gone things are going to start to heat up a little bit in the world of baseball the the Dodgers sitting at 60 and 30 it, it, this it's going to get interesting, James. Yeah, especially coming down the stretch. I mean, we're, we just started the second half of the season, and I don't see anybody really – I don't see too many teams breaking away. Right. Nobody's, nobody's breaking away. So we will look to see how that plays out as we head down the final stretch. All right, crunch time with Miguez and Mesh. One hour done. One hour to go. In the second hour, we're going to bring you some clips from LSU football. Jack Besh, B.J. Ojolari, and Mike Jones Jr. At 5.15, Kent Stevens, the historian of the College Football Hall of Fame, is going to join me to tell you some stuff that I didn't even know about this place. Um, looking around on Monday, 
we had the conversation with him on Tuesday, and he, he taught me some things that I had looked at and didn't realize that that's what they were from. So great interview there. And then at 532, Saturday down south, Mr. Connor O'Gara is going to join us to talk about SEC Media Days. You're listening to The Game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're back after this top of the hour sports update. SEC, SEC, SEC. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, live from the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. Here is your special SEC Media Days edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, presented by Bordelon Furniture. Hour 2 of 2 Radio Row College Football Hall of Fame. It's Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh back in the studio. 602 in Atlanta, 502 back home. Big second hour here on the show. We're going to be joined by Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. Kent Stevens, the historian for the College Football Hall of Fame. And we'll have some clips from Jack Besh, B.J. Ojolari, and Mike Jones Jr. But before we get to that, James, let's have a discussion related to our poll question of the day. So I'm going to ask you, who do you think is the best player on the New Orleans Saints? I think it's the newest signed safety in Tyra Matthew. Really? I think I think it's almost a 1A, 1B situation when it comes to Tyron and DeMario. I, I think they're in the same tier one level. And then in the next tier, you got AK, Mike when he's fully healthy, Cam Jordan, Marshawn Lattimore, and Ryan Ramchek. But I think it's, I think it's between Tyron and DeMario. The only reason I would give the slight edge to Tyron is because... In my eyes, Tyron, he's he's got he's got the more natural skill of just being a ball hawk. He just he always seems to be near the ball. He's just got that natural instinct. I think they're both even when it comes to tackling. I think Tyron's faster. Demario is stronger. Demario's got the bigger build and got more of a frame. But I I think you got to give him more to to Tyron because. He's a lot more versatile as well on defense, whereas you can blitz with DeMario, but you can also put Tyron in the box, and you can have him blitz as well. He can cover. He does all the same things as DeMario, but he's, in my opinion, more versatile because you can put him in the free safety of the corner. You can put him at linebacker, or you can put him in the box. And he's doing that all as a smaller human being. It's true. And he's been doing it for longer. He's been on this level since, I would say, year two of his NFL career. Whereas DeMario, he's only kind of been on this level for the last two, maybe three years. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and again, I, I don't, I'm not knocking Tyron Matthew when I say that I wouldn't put him as the best player on the Saints. He's up there, for sure. Um, but, you know, you know in, my, in my opinion... I really, I just, I really think that a guy like Ryan Ramshack 
is is the most important piece to your team. Because if you don't have a strong left tackle to protect your quarterback, then you are a fish out of water. You are up a creek without a paddle. You are screwed. Right? I mean, yeah, if you don't have if you don't have at least one good tackle, it's not looking good in terms for your team because edge rushers have they've probably been the best that they've ever been ever since football's been created. Yeah. So this is this is probably the best overall group and just the overall talent wise probably the best that we've so ever seen. In terms of a combination of importance, athleticism, all of that stuff. Just put it all together. The best player on the team is Ryan Ramchak. Now, if we're talking importance, and you'd have to go Jameis because it's the QB position, and because this is this is a huge make or break year for Jameis. If we're looking at leadership, you would go Demario O'Day. You would also put Cam and Jameis in that same level. Yep. But if we're looking at just the overall best football player, I would have to go Tyreek. I have to go Honey Badger because it feels like he was just bred and he was born to play football. Now he now he he's definitely able to do other things with his life, but one of the things he was put on God God's earth to do is to play football. And he's, true. Da- he's damn good at it. And he's true. not only is he been doing it longer than DeMario on this level, he's also three years younger. DeMario's 33. Tyron just turned 30. Yeah, that, that's true. I would uh, I, I would have to agree with you. Hotline 706-0111 if you want to get in on the show. And all, as always, in Acadiana, you can catch us on the Simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. James, let's go back to the audio clips. And let's start with Billy Napier. And let's talk about Billy Napier touching on uh, Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett. Yeah, nothing but respect for Kirby. I mean, the guy's an unbelievable uh, football coach leader. He's a fantastic person, unbelievable competitor. Uh, And I'll tell you, you know, the first time I saw him was our first SEC meeting. I told him, I said, congratulations, you know, because, I mean, I know what goes into that, right? Uh, and, you know, I'm proud of the guy, you know, just to be quite honest. I mean, he's, he's done it, and he's done it the right way. Uh, he's going to be great to compete against him. You know, I think uh, Stetson is uh, – it's pretty awesome to turn the TV on and see that guy playing quarterback for the dogs. You know, he, um, you know he's committed to the University of Louisiana, um, you know, got an opportunity to go back and play, um, had the confidence. I mean, you think about – uh, his character and his confidence and his abilities. Um, fantastic player and a great leader. Uh, certainly, I can see why Georgia, you know, took him. And then also, he. this is the part that a lot of people have been talking about is the fact that he spent a lot of time yesterday talking about his dad 
who was a legendary high school coach in the state of Georgia and passed away after a long battle with ALS. And Billy Napier was asked by our own Raymond Parsh III, what have you taken from your dad's career and put into yours? You're trying to get me here today. Um, Dad showed, I think sometimes when you adversity strikes, you can choose character or you can choose to compromise, right? Dad did an unbelievable job. Every day he chose character. He relied on his foundation, which was his faith. He was a great example to a lot of people. Even to this day, it's impacted me and a lot of other people too. Thanks for the question. And then the, the other clip I want to get to today is Billy Napier talking about how he was fortunate to have been a part of every level from player all the way to head coach. You know, it's exciting to be a part of this league. I've been fortunate in my career to be in the ACC, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, the Sunbelt Conference, uh, the MEAC Conference, and I played FCS level football in the old Southern Conference. You know, this is the SEC. It is the league. Uh, quality personnel, quality coaching, the footprint, the passion. You know, it is the standard. It sets the bar. Uh, there's so, mo so much momentum, the credibility, so uh, and the stability. One of the greatest slogans of all time is it just means more, right? And I think that explains it uh, very well. You know, James, you and I have been making jokes about me being lonely here in Atlanta and all this stuff. But let's face reality. I'm coming home tomorrow. You are. You are indeed. And after the show, you're going to probably, you're going to hit a hotel, stay there the night, and then get here before the show. Correct. We're going to stay in Mobile tonight and then finish the drive in the morning. Uh, but uh, I've been checking the radar, and we're, we're running into a little bit of a hiccup. There's some severe thunderstorms hanging out around Montgomery right about now, and they're going south. Which is my exact drive to Mobile. I love severe weather. I love driving rain while I'm driving. It's, it's what everybody wants when they're going down the interstate at 70 miles an hour, right? Or if you're Raymond, go 25. <laughs> well, I mean, that's probably what I'll end up doing, considering that everybody seems to forget how to drive when it rains. Yep. Um, but, you know, all will be fine. I will be inside of the game studios tomorrow at 4 p.m. to deliver another great episode of Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. And that's just going to be what it's going to be. B, let's check the poll question from a f the Facebook side of things. Looking at the poll question, who do you think the most important player on the Saints is? Let's see. Ralph Bergeron says, man, this is tough. Love all three, but might have to go with Kamara or Lattimore. There's a lot of talent on this roster. Can't believe the national pundits have us ranked so low. And that's not including how good a healthy Mike Thomas and Will Lutz are. Glad I bet the over at eight wins. David Ackman says Demario Davis. And then Robert Duplachance says Davis, then Ramshack. 
that that's the thing that we're learning by doing this right is that the Saints talent level is enormous. There's not just one guy to pick from. You got you got seven to ten players because just naming seven off top Tyron, Demario, AK, Cam, Lattimore. Yeah. The the list Ram, just can... Ram check and then Mike when he's healthy. I mean <laughs> Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Tomorrow's show we're we're gonna get into a lot of different things. But but the main thing is going to be putting a big bow on SEC Media Days. But we're not done with this one yet. Hang around. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh continues here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Lonely, I'm still lonely. Our guy Miguez is lonely in Atlanta. So why don't you drop him a line on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Or comment on our Facebook page. Back to the SEC Media Days edition of Crunch Time, presented by Bordelon Furniture. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, live from the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, Georgia, for the SEC Media Days 2022 Matt Miguez here, and I am joined by the historian of the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame, Mr. Kent Stevens. Mr. Kent, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you? Happy to be here. Feeling great. So talk to me about, you know, this particular College Football Hall of Fame. Opened in 2014, Mm -hmm. positioned perfectly in downtown Atlanta. I mean, this is just an incredible setup. Well, thank you. Yeah, the first two efforts were probably in places they never should have been in the first place. <laughs> Our first, uh, the, we've been started electing Hall of Famers in 1951, the, but the College Football Hall of Fame didn't have a physical building until 1978. It was located in Kings Island, Ohio, which is a community about 20 miles north of Cincinnati. It was located right next to an amusement park. And the thing I thought was, well, 300 meet, three. Uh, a million people a year go to the amusement park. If one out of every ten gets lost, we'll be doing right. really well. <laughs> well right. At the end, it was more like one out of a hundred. And our best days was the days when it rained because people couldn't ride roller coasters. Well, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so they want a place to escape to. Um, then we closed there in 92. We opened up in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, but, of course, here in Atlanta, you have all the corporate sponsorships, you know, Coke and Kia and... My goodness, Chick-fil-A. You know, the, the Chick-fil-A, obviously. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, it, the, less is, the, the list is endless. And, of course, you know, in a major metropolitan area, a place that has a lot of tourism, we're down, located where there's other attractions, and obviously being in the, in the seat of a, of a region that's, you know, college football uh, crazy, right. uh, it's obviously the perfect place to be. Now... Having SEC Media Days here at the College Football Hall of Fame, you know, what's that been like? Because, I mean, really, when you think about it, Atlanta is, is a great center point mm-hmm. for certainly. the Southeastern Oh, Conference. certainly, certainly. I think it's the most lot. And, and you say uh, Atlanta is a logical place for the National College Football Hall of Fame, and I think Atlanta is the most logical place for the SEC to, uh, to be. Obviously, this is where the championship game is, and uh, 
It's the largest city in the uh, SEC um, footprint, so it's pretty much centrally located, so obviously it's logical to be here as well. So talk about the, the Hall of Fame itself, you know, the, the field down in the on the first level, helmet wall with all the schools. Yes. Yeah, uh, hundreds of helmets. And, and just like some of the interesting artifacts that you guys have in here. Well, the other museum in South Bend was really history driven. And obviously I'm a history nut, so um, that was very important to me. But to appeal to a large audience, you just can't focus on just history nuts right. such as myself. You have to appeal to a much larger brain of, uh, range of audience. Um, my wife, who hates college football, hates all football, we, when we opened up, I, we brought her here, and she was here for two and a half hours, and it was getting near dinner time, and I wanted to go, I wanted to leave. And I'm like dragging her through the place, come on, let's go, no, 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 I want to see this, I want to do that, I want to do this other thing. So it appeals to, if my wife could be here for two and a half hours and have a great time, right, right. anybody could, because it's, uh, it's, it's more than just the history of the game. Even though that is here as well, you could spend... A couple of days if you wanted to go up to the third floor and watch the videos on all 1,200 Hall of Famers. Um, so it appeals to a much wider range of interests of college football fans. Chatting with Kent Stevens, the historian for the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame. Look around, you, you see the Marshall jersey with, with the number 75 to commemorate the, 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 the 1970 plane crash. Right. You've got Troy Aikman's UCLA jersey right. back here. Uh, the Heisman Trophy, not here currently, but there's a well. It's it's here. Well, not there's. They make a new one every year for the right, new right. Winner. So yes, it's, it's 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 a mold that they use for everybody. The old crystal mm -hmm. trophy for Correct. the national right. championship. Mm -hmm. I mean, just talk about some of the you know interesting artifacts that you guys. Well, have. I'm just going to sit here just from what I can see where we are. Um, I'm going to point out the trombone you see down there. That is from the 1982 Cal Stanford game where. Gary Tyrell, the Stanford band member, right. was in the unfortunate position of being in the end zone when Kevin Moon ran him down and knocked him to the turf. Um, that's here in the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, we have an interesting, I see, I'm just talking about just what I can see just from here. We have the original blueprints from Michigan Stadium, the, you know, the big house. Uh, we have the Paul Bunyan axe uh, from Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota that was retired because they, they ran out of room to put scores on the handle. They started trying to put him on the side, and they said, "Well, this is ridiculous. This isn't going to work. We need a new hand. We need a new uh, axe." Over to my right, I'm looking at the jersey of Byron Wizard White from Colorado, who led the nation in all in 1937 and became a Supreme Court justice. So there's uh, the evolution of the helmets, and uh, there's, uh, you know, we can, I could, I'm guessing, I'd never sat down and, and crunched the numbers, but I would get about maybe 2%, maybe probably less than that of what we have is out here on the floor. Right. And so what we do is then we create changing exhibits that we do about three times a year. Currently there's one on the SEC. Uh, when that one runs its course, we'll have one on the new batch of Hall of Famers. I already got tons and tons of boxes of stuff that the next batch of Hall of Famers have sent to me that will be right, part right. of our collection. Uh, and so that'll go on display sometime in September, then come in uh, first of the year, we'll have an, another exhibit, which we have yet to determine what that will be. What's your favorite part about 
you know, this position and working in, in the College Football Hall of Fame being the history buff. That well, what I like is when people, they, I, I wouldn't say challenge me, but uh, ask me to look up of things that I never knew before. Uh, we have obviously have a social media element, and like so they a month ago or two months ago, whatever, or it was either a week or a day, it was like barefoot day. <laughs> so they said, tell us everything you know about college football players that played barefoot. <laughs> So there was the first guy I remember was a kicker at Michigan State in the mid-60s. Who, he was from, from Hawaii named Dick Kenny. And he didn't do a soccer-style barefoot kick. He kicked straight on and punted barefoot. And he had a heck, heck that had to be very painful. And remember Keith Byers scored a, a famous touchdown at Ohio State when his shoe fell off and he was running down the field in his bare feet. And, of course, then you hit all the... Tony Franklin's and the Rich right, Carlises right. and those type of people that replace kickers barefoot. So it's fun when people ask me off-the-wall questions to help them out. No question about it. Kent Stevens, the historian for the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame, really appreciate you taking the time. Great insight into the history of this building and, you know, the history of college football. And uh, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Great. We'll be back with more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the other side. You're listening to The Game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. The circus that is SEC Media Days is in Atlanta, and Miguez and Mesh have you covered. Here is the SEC Media Days edition of Crunch Time, presented by Portalon Furniture on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 5.30 back in Acadiana, 6.30 here in the ATL. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, and I am joined by the senior writer for Saturday Down South, Mr. Connor O'Gara. Connor, good afternoon, my man. How are you? Good afternoon. Doing well. I feel like this is closing time at SEC Media Days. We're seeing a few people kind of trickle out at this point, but... You know, those of us who burn the midnight oil, we, we stay late, we grind, this is what we do. We don't just leave when all the coaches and players leave. We stay and we get that extra work in. We get the extra reps in. You see, Connor, Connor understands me. We, we are grinders. Amen. We, we don't stop when the work's done. We find more work to do. That's right. I'm, I'm wired that way. I can't go to sleep knowing that there's work to be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's recap SEC Media Days. You know, first question is, which coach from a press conference perspective stood out to you the most with what they had to say? Brian Harson. If you had told me that Brian Harson in the year 2022, after the year he just had, wherein he started off at SEC Media Days by having a 35-minute press conference in which he answered three questions, three questions, that's it. If you had told me that that guy was going to come here and directly address the coup that didn't work, as he said, back in February, I, I would have said you're crazy. There's no way that he's going to pull 180 like that. There's no way that he's going to be as direct as he was. And credit the guy for being willing to talk about an awkward situation. He talked about how it was uncomfortable, and it is. 
And I love the fact that he's come out the way that he has post-February, recognizing he's got to be a more personable guy. He's got to be more relatable. You can't be a robot at the same time. It's still SEC football. And if you don't win games, you're gone. And obviously, there are people above him that do not want him to have that job. And if he goes 6-6, six and six, if he goes 7-5, and five, don't think he's going to have that job. So you think anything less than 8-4? and four? Eight and four would be like uh, not not all eight and four seasons are created equal. Some are hollow. Some are not. Some eight and four seasons include wins against Alabama or LSU or going on the road and beating Georgia. Whatever the case may be, an eight and four season can include a lot of highs, or it can include four losses that are really ugly and they're to rivals that you should be competing with on an annual basis. I think nine and three is what he's going to have to is probably what he's going to have to post to save his job, if I'm guessing. And based on his quarterback situation with T.J. Finley, and Zach Calzada, who Zach Calzada looks like he's going to be the starter, and then Robbie Ashford, the transfer from Oregon, who hasn't played a down of FBS football yet, I would tend to say that he's not going to be able to save his job. Now, talking about first-year head coaches, two of them in the SEC, Billy Napier at Florida and then Brian Kelly here at, at, in Baton Rouge at LSU. Which one, you know, not necessarily impressed you more, but stood out to you more after their first SEC media days? Billy Napier. I've never seen a coach in this setting wherein, you know, I don't want to say like there's like adrenaline pumping in this setting, but because it's different. I mean, we do it differently here in the SEC with all of these media members and all the hoopla that gets put into SEC media days. I've never seen a coach get up to the podium and have to hold back tears talking about something. And he did talking about his dad with uh, his battle with Lou Gehrig's disease and coaching through illness and all those different things. And then, of course, some idiot afterwards asked him about why he gets a buzz cut, even though he's a coach that's not losing his hair. I was that idiot, by the way. I'm not calling somebody else out. But I, I just think that Billy Napier continues to come off very genuine. We praise Sam Pittman. We praise Ed Ogeron for being genuine, authentic versions of themselves. Billy Napier has a long ways to go to to show Florida fans that he's going to be capable of having that job for a decade. But being an authentic version of himself, which I, I think he truly is, and he kind of has this quiet calm about him. He seems like a really steady guy. The comp that uh, one of my coworkers gave out earlier that I'm starting to think more and more about was Tony Dungy. I think that's a really interesting fit given what we've seen the Florida job become and how high-wired their coaches have become after a few short years in Gainesville. Now, you know, i got to ask you, I know you've been on Paul Feinbaum before, but being able to join Paul Feinbaum at the SEC Network desk at SEC Media Days, how cool was that? Surreal, man. Surreal. I didn't grow up around SEC football in the way that so many people here did. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up covering I, I grew up thinking that I was going to cover the Chicago Cubs baseball. And I, I told myself for a very long time, all right, you know, you want to cover Chicago sports. You want to cover, you know, Big Ten stuff. And I started co covering Big Ten football before I started covering SEC football. But obviously, I mean, Paul's an institution. He's been really good to me over the years. And it was, it was surreal. I've only ever done one live on-set thing with him. It was 2019, Auburn LSU actually before that game, which was really cool to be there in Baton Rouge and be able to, to kind of 
uh, have that that kind of moment. It, it's awesome. I mean, Paul, say what you want about his takes or whatever. I, I think Paul is is so great for this conference and to to be able to kind of share that stage with him in that moment was a lot of fun. Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South joining us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Looking at the conference, Connor, you know, one and two is, is pretty much set, right? Georgia and Alabama, at this point, pretty interchangeable. And then you got Vanderbilt all the way over here on the other side. But then we, we talked about this the other day. Three through 13 is so jam-packed. This might be the closest I've ever seen the SEC. It might be. I, I'd probably say Mizzou would be in that like 13 spot, just because yeah. they haven't they haven't done really much of anything on the road yet, and that, that that's an issue that Eli Drinkwitz knows he needs to address. And given the uncertainty of the quarterback position there with Brady Cook and Tyler Macon and and Jack Abraham, the transfer from Mississippi State, I don't really know that Mizzou is in that group. But you're right. I mean, there is so much. Five and three, four and four, three and five projection going on right now. And I think even with the second place teams in each division, I, I could very well see them both going five and three. I have in the SEC East, I have Tennessee being that five and three team. And then in the West, I have Arkansas being, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to put them at five and three or six and two. We still got to figure that out. But I have those two teams as the, the second place teams. And we're going to be asking week to week. Who's the second best team in the East? Right. Who's the second best team in the West? Because we're going to get so bored. We're already bored with talking about Georgia and Alabama being the best teams in their respective divisions, but they are. And if one of those teams isn't in Atlanta in December playing for an SEC championship, I'll be stunned. Now, talking about quarterbacks, because there's so many good ones in, in the SEC, in your opinion, who's the second best quarterback? Henning and Hooker. Henning and Hooker. Hooker. Why? Yeah. I loved what he did last year, coming in relief for Joe Milton. One of life's great great mysteries, who killed JFK and why in the world did Joe Milton start ahead of Hendon Hooker? I'll, I'll wonder that until the end of time. But I think that Hendon Hooker is remarkably impressive for what he was asked to do in that offense, which was stretch the field, take those home run chances, connect on those plays downfield. You're going to take some hits in this offense. You're just going to run the football, be effective in the open field. He does this little head fake when he gets out there as a scrambler that he can pull off. That's almost like this nasty crossover in basketball. And it's remarkable to watch. And I think that Hennon Hooker, given the fact that he was put in kind of a tough situation there with a first-year head coach with an entirely new offense that was really different than what he was running at Virginia Tech, I thought he passed so many tests. I mean, 31 to 3 TD to INT ratio. That, that is so hard to do, and especially in this conference. And I think what he did was most impressive, and he is the most proven of those guys. There are kind of different degrees of 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 what we expect there's different conversations about potential like anthony richardson might have the most potential of any non-bryce young quarterback in the sec but like anthony richardson has two starts in which he has double digit pass attempts so can we really say that he's you know, worthy of being a top three quarterback in the sec coming in this year no would it be a stunner if he finished there no i mean that's how good quarterback play is it's at least as good as 2013 in the sec it might be better it has more depth in my opinion than that year and that's that says a lot about why some of these teams are just so confident going into this year and it feels like everybody's getting disrespected everybody's getting disrespected left and right and it's because these fan bases feel really confident about their teams now looking at 
you know, coaches that are on the hot seat. Obviously, Brian Harson is the one that, that everybody's talking about. In your opinion, is there anybody else in the SEC that might be on high alert? The one that's off the radar, I just kind of have my, you know, just kind of, you know, just filing that one away for later is Mike Leach. I'm not saying I think Mike Leach is going to get fired. I'm high on Mississippi State. I bet I am higher on Mississippi State than anybody in here. I'm finishing fourth in the division because I love what they return in that defense with Zach Arnett. I think Jet Johnson is going to be a fantastic middle linebacker who does like a million different things for him. Love what they have in the defensive backfield as well with Emmanuel Forbes. I, I think that this team, though, as I look at them today, I question what if what we saw at the end of the year – carries over into the start of the season not that momentum is a real thing but what if what if will rogers maybe isn't quite as impressive as he was during that 28 to 3 comeback against auburn what if the guy that we saw start to force some throws against texas tech starts to make some of those same mistakes what if they can't figure out those issues at left tackle in a post charles cross world and all of a sudden a three-man rush beats the air raid and it looks like they can't score against anybody and they put way too much pressure on their defense does that mean Mike Leach is suddenly on the hot seat as somebody who has three years left on his deal? They could pay, what, $10 bucks after this year to fire him, which in this day and age is not that much. Right. More coaches than I mean, not have... just paid 17 Exactly. More coaches than not have an eight-figure buyout, at the Power 5 level at least. So that's not necessarily a stunning thing. It's not a deal-breaker. So I'm just saying... In terms of like coaches who could have things go south and get fired, Mike Leach is one to remember. And obviously, what they did with Joe Moorhead after just two years, my God, Joe Moorhead, never rule it out. Now, two more for you. Number one, let's talk about LSU. What are you expecting out of Brian Kelly and his Tigers football team in year one? Gosh, I have no idea. What do, what do you think? <laughs> it's it's going to be weird. I mean, me personally, I could see them being eight and four, nine and three. I just who's going to be the starting quarterback? Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's perhaps fitting that the best player on LSU's roster is a guy that we have a million questions about, Keishon Butte. Yep. That kind of speaks to the uncertainty of this year one. And for what it's worth, year one is proven to be like this terrible barometer for long-term success either way like if, if a coach is really bad year one it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be bad long term if they're really good year one it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be good, good long term i think that lsu has so many questions i feel like they have really good edge rushers with bj ojolari with ali gay i feel like they have unbelievable receivers with Keishon Butte, with Jack Bash, with Brian Thomas. I feel really good about that side of it. I actually feel pretty good about the quarterback situation. I feel like whether it's Miles Brennan, whether it's Jaden Daniels, or even Garrett Nussmeyer, the kind of the forgotten man, they should be all right there. But everything else, I'm kind of just like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't think anybody really does. I don't think Brian yeah. Kelly really does. And I think when you have so many transfers, it's kind of like, well, just kind of wait and see. And in the SEC West, I, I picked them to finish six, which speaks to how indecisive I am about LSU. Wow. Lastly, you know, Greg Sankey talked about it Monday in his State of the SEC address. He talked about how he feels that the conference is the strongest that it's ever been, and he has no plans of further expansion. However, in today's college football, expansion is inevitable. And if you wait too long, you're going to get left in the dust. Now, I'm not saying the SEC is going to get left in the dust, but at, at some point, Greg Sankey's going to have to say, you know what, we have to expand even further. When do you see that happening? Until we know about the grant of rights 
which locks the ACC into that contract For through 2036. Yeah. Until we know about that, the SEC doesn't really have a move to make, in my opinion. Now, it'd be different if the Notre Dame conversation was, was one that's worth having. We found out, I think it was I think it was Dennis Dodd who reported that they're seeking the $75 million to be able to remain in independence and seeking that money and TV revenue from NBC. I think if we knew about that, it'd be a little bit of a different discussion. But at the same time, it's like, well, all your commodities that you want are pretty much in the ACC. Right. You know, you don't just add to add. And it's not like the SEC is going to go out and get Washington and get Oregon. I don't necessarily think that's that's necessarily on the table. So I believe Greg Sankey when he says that we don't we're not panicking. We don't need to react to this move specifically. If they go out and add and continue to build, it'll be as a result of the ACC essentially going under and all of these teams being able to to get out of that granted rights deal. Connor O'Gara from Saturday down south. Appreciate you taking the time, man. Great work as always, and uh, have fun this college football season, man. Absolutely appreciate it, man. There he goes, Connor O'Gara. We'll take a timeout right here. We'll wrap it all up on the other side. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to head back out to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta for the show that just means more. Eh, what more is, we're not quite sure yet. Here is the SEC Media Days edition of Crunch Time, presented by Bordelon Furniture on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, welcome back inside Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh Life here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. College Football Hall of Fame starting to restore to its original self. Radio Row slowly clearing out here on this Thursday afternoon as we put a bow on 2022 SEC Media Days. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. James, I'm coming home, bud. How you feeling? Feels like I'll have my buddy back. Yeah, I'll be back in studio tomorrow. Yeah. And then we'll also have our special guest. Yeah. We will have our guest host for Jordy. It will be former Dolphins wide receiver Duriel Harris. That's pretty cool. So that'll, even... that'll be an interesting experience right before our show. Absolutely. Duriel's a great guy, and uh, it'll be it'll be fun to to get to hang out with him tomorrow. In setting, he... in setting up, we, I, already, I already booked the guest list for him. We're going to have at... 2.30, we're going to have our big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parks III, to recap the whole the whole SEC Media Days. Well, and, of course you will. And then at 3 o'clock, we'll have our old reliable. We'll have Matthew Bruni to talk about the LSU football team and what he thinks after SEC Media Days and what Brian Kelly had to say. And then at 3.30, we'll have Ross Jackson to talk Saints oh, football. So Ross it's, Jackson. It's going to be a very... Football heavy show ahead of training camp and just the football season in general. So, you know, James, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I am excited to come home. Um, you homesick? I, I miss my routine. I miss my family. Uh, I, I'm ready to come home. However, I'm pretty popular here. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of big time over here, Mr. In, big in, in time a, in Atlanta. I, that might be a new rejoin. 
That, that I think that's going to have to be. That might have because, to be. Because... have to talk to Ray about that. I mean, it's ju it's just the truth. I mean, the, the guys that I've been able to, to get to know and hang out with, I mean, I, I've made contacts this weekend that uh, are, are, are going to set our show up very nicely. Let's just say that. Just slight flexes all day. I love it. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not going to reveal any secrets. Magician never reveals his secrets. But... <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to... We, we have a ton of great contacts now to uh to bring on to crunch time we with me guys and mesh especially during the college football season but you know james I, I do have to say one thing i don't know if i'm going to be able to go back to sleeping in a regular bed after staying in a four-star hotel all week <laughs> oh so e you're even too big time for your bed is that what uh, you're saying um yeah yeah that's, <laughs> wow. that, is what I'm, that is what i'm saying wow okay <laughs> did not um, expect that well, so, if, that's, if that's the case, I, I, would, I would have to guess, if you're going to grade out the week, it'd have to be an A, A-plus? Oh, man, absolutely. A-plus. I mean, this event was absolutely first class. Uh, the SEC took great care of us on Radio Row, made sure we were fed at all times, had a party every night, you know, always helped us if, you know, we needed assistance with, like, wiring or wi-fi or, or things like that it was it, it was top notch so are you an ambassador with chick-fil-a at this point you and ray or like oh, what's going on oh absolutely i mean dude there's there's literally a chick-fil-a connected to the college football hall of fame <laughs> how, how are you not a chick-fil-a ambassador i mean you got to be at this point i mean how and, many gift cards do you have to it now i heard ray got like at least one um i have one uh they gave us one at the, at the party last night did you give me one? Well, no. They only gave us one. Ugh. It wasn't like a pile that I could just grab. You should have grabbed a handful. Just <laughs> stuff them in your back pocket. And be like, I'll, I'll take this for later. God. And then Ray got two because he got one from the Peach Bowl CEO when he interviewed him yesterday. And then got a second one at the party. Might have so, to ask Ray for that Peach Bowl one. Ray benefited. <laughs> yeah, um, he did. Ray, Ray benefited very, very nicely. Are you all right? So I, I hate to look to the future, but you ready for the 2023 SEC media days? Yes, absolutely. I've never been to Nashville. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about going to Nashville. Maybe, maybe we can find a way to where both of us go. Oh, absolutely. That, that's gonna happen. That to way, that way, I don't miss out because I've never, been, I've never been to Nashville either. That's, that's definitely going to have to be a thing. But uh, before we head out on the road, got to get back to Louisiana. I do want to take the opportunity to thank Borderline Furniture for being our title sponsor for this weekend. Locations in Crowley, Jennings, and Marksville. Guys, this month only got, what, nine days left in July? Power recliner on sale, $6.99. You got to go get your hands on it. It's a perfect addition to your man cave with college football less than 50 days away. Bordelon Furniture, Crowley, Jennings, and Marksville. Once again, really appreciate them helping us get to Atlanta to put this week together for you guys. Again, want to take time to thank our guests for today. Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. Kent Stevens, the historian for the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame. And then, of course, the commissioner of the SEC, Mr. Greg Sankey. You really appreciate him stopping by and taking the time. What a great event that he and his staff have been able to put on. All right, James. 
packing up, hitting the road. I will see you in Acadiana tomorrow. Safe travels, bud. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this live edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh live from the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, Georgia. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well. Give a big old hug to your mom and them. And we will see you tomorrow here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.